I want to preach this morning about Christ. I couldn't find a better topic. Um, why? Beginning of a year, I think it's so important to anchor us in why we live, in whom we have our being, and why we are church. The church is the product of Christ. You are the product of Christ. We are here for Him. We live for Him. And we cannot emphasize that enough. And the passage I'm going to preach on is John 6. And it's actually a very sad story because it's the feeding of the 5,000. There are 5,000 people following Jesus because they've seen the signs. But they have no clue what the signs point towards. And they want to make Jesus into a useful God who fulfills their needs. But they don't want to come to Him who He is. And some people miss it. They follow Jesus because He's useful, but they don't follow Jesus for who He is. And that is the whole story. And if you see that the story starts with 5,000 people that get fed, plus a lot of disciples, it actually ends with only 12 because everybody leaves. Because Jesus doesn't fulfill their human needs. But they don't realize that he came to fulfill their spiritual needs. That he came to fulfill what they truly need. Eternal life, salvation, and God himself. Good. So I give you, gave you away the, the, the point of the preaching so that when you hear it, you, oh, oh, that's what he's talking about. He didn't come to be useful. He came to be precious. He came to be our treasure. That's the point. And if you don't get that, and if you keep Jesus small, your own personal Jesus who fulfill your needs, you miss the point. And a lot of the Gospels preached today are about Jesus came to fulfill your needs. No, He did not. He came to change your needs. When a person gets reborn, his desires are supposed to change. The Gospel is clear about that. But Psalms already says that, Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. But God becomes your desire if you, desire, if, if you delight yourself in the Lord. And then he will give himself. That's literally what it says. God will give himself to those who desire after him. Good. The Gospel of John is a special gospel. Mark mainly talks about what Jesus did. Matthew and Luke speak mostly about what Jesus said, but the Gospel of John is written about who Jesus is. And um, so, and the conclusion is, Jesus did not mainly come to give bread, but to be bread, the bread of life. That's the conclusion of that whole chapter. If you go to John 6, verse 35, that's the first one. It's nice, I, I start with a conclusion. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Never hunger and never thirst. But they were carnal people. They thought he was talking about bread. No, he's talking about himself. I am the bread. And then the next verse is 48. 6 verse 48. I am the bread of life. Bread was more essential in that time as what it's now. 
where you go into a supermarket, bread is just one row. At that time, bread was it. That's what people spent their money on. That's what people needed. You lived off bread and some fish. And he says, I am the bread of life. It's me. You shouldn't look for bread. You should look for me. In verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, never, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life, life of the world. In other words, if you eat from me, and you'll see later, when you eat normal bread, you get hungry again. But when you eat from me, you get a result that is not just for your body, it's for your spiritual life, eternal life with me in eternity. If you eat from me, and my prayer is that we'll learn what it means to eat Christ, to consume him and be consumed by him, to be one with him. It's, it's speech that Jesus used to imply a spiritual reality. And my faith is that if God talks about it, we can get it. If Jesus talks about it, we can join in. It sounds like, how do we do that? And the, the answer is by faith. By faith alone we receive what God wants to give, not by works. Because the people also ask, give us that bread, what must we do? Very interesting. So, he did not come to give bread, but to be bread. And it starts with many disciples. John 6, verse 66, and uh, let's read the end of John 6. It's, it's such a sad story. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. When Jesus was revealing who he truly was and what his true purpose was, it didn't align with their desire, and they left him. I must warn you, Jesus is not seeker-sensitive. Because his message, they say, it's hard. We can't take it. It's, it, it doesn't, we don't get it. And he doesn't make excuses. He's not seeker-sensitive. The church should, by the way, become very seeker-sensitive. He who seeks disciples. God, God's eyes goes, go over the world, seeking whose heart go after him. The Father is searching for worshipers. If we become seeker-sensitive, let's become more sensitive towards him who searches us to be living for him. Next verse. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? You see, it's not, not, he's, not, he's not friendly. Don't you want to leave as well? You find this hard as well? They also complain, <coughs> you can't say that. <laughs> this is hard. We, we, we have a problem with the way you, you talk about yourself. We, we don't understand it. It's problematic. Don't you see you're going to chase a lot of people away if you talk like that? And then Jesus, oh, don't you want to leave as well? Wow. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's the place where we should come to. We might not understand everything, but we know one thing. He's got the one who's got words of eternal life. The other thing is they didn't have any plan B left. Do you know that? They had let go of everything. And one of the things that I believe we need to do is get rid of our plan B. 
Lord, we only have plan A. It's you. We only have plan A. It's you. We have nothing else. And, and, and we're going to follow you. Good. Uh. Okay. He came to change our desires profoundly so that he is the center of our desire and he is the precious one. Jesus didn't mainly come um, to do... What Jesus came to do here is change our desires. Life in eternity is where all our other needs are going to be met. Do you know that this is only a short time that we live compared to eternity? The promises for eternity is eternal life, absolute joy, happiness, a new body. Ah, I'm going to have long hair again and skinny, whatever. Um, food every day. Walk with God in the garden every day. The promises of the new heaven and the new earth are awesome. But they're not for now, yet. Not always, but sometimes we see a glimpse, because now we live in the already and the not yet. Sometimes God comes through and shows us what, what it will be later in eternity forever. But we shouldn't focus on that too much. We should focus on Christ, because what Christ came to do is to reveal himself. And for us to have a relationship with him, and then we can simply step over, be transformed. Uh, how do the Salvation Army say? Then we get, get um, uh, um, uh, uh, transferred into glory. Heerlijkheid is before in Engels. Advanced into glory. But that's not for now. For now, what is promised is that we can have an inner relationship, a, a very intimate relationship with Christ. That now is the time to treasure Him. Now is the time to follow Him. And now is the time to be satisfied with Him. Because that is what Jesus talks about. And I want you to, to look at yourself. Do you know what I hear sometimes? Is people are getting bored with their faith. And then I think, but then you haven't tasted Christ. Then you haven't tasted what He has for you. Then you haven't been able to truly be full of Him. And I'm telling you, that's what you need. Jesus, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Corrie ten Boom was in a concentration camp. <coughs> and um, people always ask, that must, be a, must have been a terrible time. He says, yeah, it was tough, but it was glorious. Because when everything was taken away, the presence of Christ was so near to us. And it was a flea-infested camp where she was with lots of women. And she had a small flask with her of oil with which she anointed people. And all these years had never ran out. The presence of Christ in our midst is the most valuable thing that we have. And my prayer for this church is that we get more of it. We can never get too much of that. It's the only product we have. Christ. It's the only reason we are here, Christ. Good, let's go to, to the part where I'm going to preach on. That's an introduction. John 6, verse 1 to 15. John 6, verse 1 to 15. And when we read this, I want you to take notice of the details. It's so important that you notice the details. This story is in the other Gospels as well. 
But this one is special because John writes it from a different point of view, and he gives details that the other Gospels leave out. And it's important. Details are important. The other thing is, John always comments in his Gospel on what he's saying. I love it. He just makes comments. I'll, I'll highlight it for you so that you see it. So after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs. Look at the word signs. John, the Gospel of John doesn't use the word miracle. He uses the word signs for a good reason. We'll get back to that. Which he performed on those who were deceased. So Jesus did a lot of healings, and all these people saw that Jesus went over across of the, the, the lake of Tiberias to the Golan Heights, and they all walked around and said, hello, there we are again, and they just followed Jesus. Don't we want that, followers of Jesus? Question mark. And Jesus went up on the mount, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, it's Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this is the comment of John, eh? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So Jesus is testing the disciples. And the big question is, what's the test? What's the test? Does Jesus test us? What's the test? What's the test? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not significant for the, of sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Oh, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many so far? Interesting. The most preachings I heard on this passage is they emphasize the bread and the fish. Then you missed the complete point. It's only one boy who has five loaves and two fish. The rest of the people have nothing. And then they say, come to Jesus with your five loaves. What is it anyway? And did Jesus really need the five loaves and two fish? Did he really need it? He fed 5,000. And that's what they say. Here they say, by the way, uh, if we looked around, we saw this boy who had a lunchbox. But what, what does that mean for so many? They didn't bring him with faith to Jesus. Here is five loaves and two fish. Please multiply it. They just said, yeah, but, but that means nothing. That means nothing. What does that mean for so many? It is insignificant what we have. That is the message here. But they missed the point. Jesus tests them and asks them. They've been walking with Jesus for so long. They've seen him raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick. And Jesus asks, where? Are you going to buy bread? It was, what feast again? Passover, shops are closed. It's in a place far away. And then they come with so many denarii, it's also not enough. They look at their earthly limitations and they say, Lord, it's ir irrational what you ask from us. We can't do that. Right, good. If God asks you something that is irrational, that is physically impossible, 
then he will do it. They still not didn't consider the kingdom. They still not realized that the creator, that, the, that, that Christ was in their midst and that he could do everything. Do you see the test? So the question was to do something to feed people. And they say, yeah, we can't do that. It's Easter. We've got not enough money. And we have a boy here with a lunchbox. But what does it mean for so many? They actually want to correct Jesus. What you're asking from us is not possible. You see that? That's what it means. So I'm not going to make a preaching on the five bread and two loaves. Do you really think the party was over if there wasn't a boy with a lunchbox? I don't think so. Let's continue. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in a number about 5,000. Notice the details. Continue. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given things, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And there were 12 baskets left. Imagine being a disciple. 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. And you've seen that it was only five loaves, and it's not completely clear where the miracle takes place. When Jesus breaks it or when they distribute it, and the, the, the Gospels all have a little bit of a different view on it. But they must have gone like, oh my word. Oh my word. What is taking place? It takes a while to feed 5,000 with 12 people, by the way. It takes a while. And they must have thought, he asked us to trick us, did he? He asked us to feed them, and now we're feeding them. And, and, and we came with this nonsense that we can't do it. Didn't we? Ooh. They must have felt a bit foolish. But I also think they didn't get the sign. A sign. Let me quickly, I have some other notes. Oh, oh yes, I want to tell a story. So the disciples uh, were tested. It was Easter, 200 denarii is not enough. It is not uh, give God your stuff and then he will multiply. That's not the gospel. If God asks something that's impossible, he will do it. But sometimes the kingdom breaks through and the future becomes present. And I love those times when God does those things. And I want to read a small story because it's, it's true that God still does those things. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, many stories I can find, but the most beautiful story of supernatural provision I, I, is from George Muller. I don't know if you know George Muller. He was a Christian missionary evangelist and a coordinator of an orphanage in Bristol, England. And through his faith and prayers, without asking for money, he had the privilege of caring over 120,000 orphans. True Christianity, true religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows. So one morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder in the, in the house and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Muller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. 
Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Well, there was no food. There was a knock on the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I could not sleep last night. Somehow I felt that you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 o'clock this morning and baked some fresh bread and, and, have, it, and have brought it. Mr. Muller thanked the baker, and no sooner he had left, when there was a second knock on the door, it was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that they could empty his wagon and repair it. God still does those things. But it's not the main thing why he came. And it's always a sign for who he is. God still does those miracles. But a little bit about miracles. I actually think we as Christians should not use the term miracle and explain to you why. It's a miracle for people that don't know Jesus. They have no clue why it happens. It's a miracle. For us, it's signs. Because we know where it comes from. We know why it happens. We know why these things take place. Because God provides. We know what it signifies. We know what it points to. Right? And that's why the Gospel of John calls it signs. Good. The sign of multiplying the loaves is not mainly that he can make bread. It's a sign that the glory of God came into the world. John 1 verse 14. John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten, of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the sign. A sign is you see the result of what's happening, and it points to where it came from. And it came from the glory of God. He dwelt among us. He, He, God. He dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. But the problem is if you only see the sign, but you don't follow where it comes from, you miss the point. You miss the point. You miss the giver. If you keep on focusing on the gifts, you miss the giver. And it's about him. John 6 verse 26. John 6 verse 26. Jesus answered them. That's after the the, 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 the 5,000 uh, got all got filled, and they, they meet him again. And then Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. It's interesting. Jesus gets angry with people that, search, that are looking for him. Because <laughs> they were searching for him. And he says, you are searching me not because you followed the sign." But because your bellies are full. Because I'm useful. Because you think I'm a nice prophet who can fulfill your needs. But you haven't followed the sign. You haven't come to the conclusion why this happens. You haven't looked up and see, oh, there is a reason why this happens. So, 
Yeah, he's angry. Can you imagine Jesus being angry towards people that are seeking him? And he's not very seeker sensitive. Because they were looking for him as useful. The money, the health, the prosperity, and they did not follow the sign that pointed to who he is. Good. I want to talk a bit, bit more about signs because when I was preparing yesterday, it's a fascinating thing. What is the sign about? Now, and I've got a few answers on that. I'm going to give them all. One of them is John gives a lot of details in this story. Remember, there was lots of grass, and he tells them to sit down. And what does he do? He gives them food. What is that? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he prepares a table before me before the presence of my enemies. Christ is the fulfillment of the laws and the prophets and the Psalms. He's everywhere. And he's the fulfillment of that. Do you see that he fulfills Psalm 23 here in this story? He makes them lie down in grass. <laughs> and he prepares a table for them. He is the good shepherd. The sign is clear. He is the good shepherd. There's another thing. If you go over the seven signs, there are seven signs in John. They all signify the same thing. In John 2, it's water into wine. Water transferred into wine. That's on the molecular level. Jesus can do things. Wow. The nobleman's son in chapter 4 was healed by just a word. Emphasis on word. Jesus spoke. It was a, he didn't have to be there and lay hands on. It was his word that healed him. John 5, a man at the pool of Bethesda that was lame for 38 years. Well, if you can't work, walk for 38 years, your legs can't walk. You need new legs. The five loaves and the two fishes or the, the multiplication or the, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, walking on water. He trumps the laws of nature. Then verse 9, men born blind, but specifically there he takes mud and puts it on his eyes. What are we made of? Dust of the earth. And then the last sign is Lazarus, who was dead for four days. And this is a, he stinks. In other words, he's fraught. It wasn't just a resurrection. It was a new creation what took place there. Now, what do all these signs have in common? John 1, verse 1 to 3. There's the answer. What? is the essence of this sign. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John puts Jesus right in the beginning of Genesis, where there's the Father, who God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit goes over, and then he says, but, but Christ was the Word. All things were made through Him, and without Him, Nothing was made that was made. The Creator was in their midst. And they wanted to reduce Him to someone that was useful. He's the Creator. The signs that He did points to the fact that everything was made through Him and for Him. Amen? You're very quiet this morning.
And then, of course, in chapter 6, it's spoken about the manna, that he is the manna that was spoken about in the desert, and that he is the manna. And lastly, it's a sign that he is the bread of life. John 6, verse 53 to 56. John 6, 53 to 56. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And then the last verse. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It talks about an intimacy that is spiritual, that is deep, that goes beyond our natural imagination. But he uses words like eating and dining and eat from me and, and take part of me. And I will abide in you and you will abide in me. And sometimes I wonder... Have we got that? Have we got the level of intimacy that Jesus wants? I don't think so. I think there is far more that we haven't tasted yet. I believe there's far more. And my prayer for this year is that we'll grow closer to Christ, closer to Him, and are able to eat and make Him the one we live for. Make Him the precious one, so that together with David we will say, like a deer that pants for water, my soul yearns for you. I'm, I'm, that we start longing more and more after Christ, after Him. After Him and not about His things. Um, let's go to John 6, verse 26 to 29. Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit in John. It's a long chapter, so I'm not, we're not reading everything. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, but not because you saw the sign. You see? You seek me, but not because you understand. A lack of understanding. You didn't connect the dots. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Next verse. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent His seal on Him. Wait before we go to the next. This sounds terrible. Jesus says, labor for eternal life. Eternal life, salvation comes through faith and grace alone, isn't it? What does He say? But He's luring them into something. It's very interesting. Jesus sometimes says the opposite, <laughs> and then He jumps over to what He really means. Yep, next verse. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? People always, what must I do? If you want to have a do, relation, a do religion, find another one. This is not a do religion. <laughs> it's very interesting. So they say, oh, that we understand. What must we do? Right? What do you want us to do? Next verse. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. The type of work is not the work that we understand, how we understand it, action. It's faith. 
the work of God is that we believe, that we receive. It's by faith alone. The relationship with Jesus works like this. You come to believe that He is who He is. And then you receive the faith to receive Him, who He is, from the Father. And then your eyes are opened to who He is by God. And then you're drawn in closer to Him, through Him, through His veil, through the cross. Do you see that it's all God doing it? We respond to only what He has done and what He's doing. That's faith. Faith is following where God has gone before. Faith is saying yes and amen to everything that He offers. And it's by faith alone. That's the work. Lord, I respond to what you are doing. Faith is saying yes and amen to what Christ has done. See that? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. John 6 verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Pray that we'll get this in our hearts. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Yeah. Can we read Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 3? Old Testament actually talking about this. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you to, uh, to sure mercies of David. Yeah, that is actually in a nutshell John 6 in the Old Testament. Yeah, there's this beautiful song of second chapter of Acts. Um, if you know second chapter of Acts, the band, then you're old, I guess. Uh, new, do, do young people know them? No. Oh. It was when Christian music wasn't commercial yet and when it was still spirit-filled, you know, that, 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 that period. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I can say things like that. Get it? Come on. Okay. But it was a beautiful day. This, this um, album, Rejoice. And it, it, they, they come with rejoice for your light has come. And the second song was the bread of life. Very short. But my word, I've listened to it at least a thousand times. At least a thousand times. And the lyrics are this, bread of life run through me. Fill my soul. Bread of life run through me. Make me whole. By your stripes I am healed. By the thorns you wore. 
by the pain you suffered, by the blood you poured, bread of life, run through me, fill my soul. Bread of life, run through me, make me whole. By your stripes I am healed, by the thorns you wore, by the pain you suffered, by the blood you poured. Bread of life, run through me, fill my soul. And that's my prayer for this year. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, that's what I pray for this year, that we'll fall in love with you more and more. Lord Jesus, that we'll be awakened and amazed by the beauty of Christ, by the glory of Christ, by the power of Christ. Lord, that we'll be awakened by the wisdom that you have, by the compassion that you have, the love that you have, and teach us to feed on you every day so that our souls are satisfied with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, let this year be a year where we all grow closer and where we'll be able to encourage each other to get closer to you, Lord Jesus. That's what I pray. Amen.